0: 9 a.m.ers, how we doing today? Looking good, looking good. If you are a parent in the room and it feels as if you have to answer a 100 questions a day from your kids, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, you're actually a little short on your estimation of the number of answers that you are asked to provide. That research has shown that that It's really around an average of 288 questions a day that a child asks their parent, unless you parent a four-year-old. Because if you parent a four-year-old, you're answering over 390 questions a day. Anybody ever parented a four-year-old in the room? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Today, as we continue this series about Samson, we are going to talk about what none of us really thought about when we found out we were having a kid, and that is responsibility to provide answers. But I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Jason, I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, it's just a big deal that you're with us today. We are in the second week of a series called Long Hair Don't Care about the life of Samson. We started this series last week at the very beginning of the story and started with the idea that if you want to make a difference, you have to be different. Right. That, that God showed up to Samson's parents who, who were not able to have children and said, You're going to have a child. His name's going to be Samson. He's going to be the judge. He's going to be the deliverer. But because I have big plans for his life, I'm also going to be asking for a big commitment, big sacrifice. And we said last week that if you want to make a difference, you got you to be different. And it was a little bit of foreshadowing because for the next four weeks, we're going to see how Samson is going to choose not to be different, that the calling that God has on his life is different, but the decisions that he makes for his life is not that different, that he's blending in with society, he's blending in with culture, and he is not living the life that God had originally intended for him or asked him to live, all right? And so, for the last three weeks of our series, we're, we're going to, to look at some of the more famous parts of Samson's story. Uh, and we're gonna learn a lot about temptation and compromise and decision making and all that stuff. That's gonna start next week for the last three weeks of the series. But this week, what, what I wanna do is we're going to specifically look at Samson's parents. They don't get a lot of press, Samson's parents. Samson gets a lot of press. But his parents don't get, uh, don't get as much. And we've been saying through, throughout this series that God uses flawed people. Everybody glad about that? That God uses flawed people. But that flawed people use God. That God uses flawed people. We're messed up, but that we're messed up so we also use God. Like Samson, we, don't, we aren't necessarily as committed to our faith as we wanna be. We run to him when we're in trouble, this cycle of sin we talked about. Last week. But if if I could just kind of add on to that, I would say God uses flawed people, flawed people use God. But I would also add that God uses flawed parents. That God uses flawed parents. And I've got four, so I just want to say that I'm very thankful that God uses flawed, that God uses flawed parents. Now it's only four verses. What we're gonna read today is only four verses, but here's why. I felt it was important enough to take a whole week to study Samson's parents because they are parents just like you and me. They loved their kid. They spoiled him. They knew that God had big plans for his life and they they tried to help him. But in the end, they watched Samson destroy his life. And Samson's parents are going to, to help us answer a question that every parent in the room has asked themselves before. Maybe you're, probably your parents have asked it about you when, you, when they were raising you. Uh, grandparents have asked it, but, but, but all parents have asked this question. What do you do when your child is making decisions for their life that go directly against the, the plans that you know God has for them? What do you do, parents, what do you do When your child is making decisions for their life that go directly against the plans you know that God has for them. That's what Samson's parents are going to to teach us today. Now, I understand there are all kinds of different people in the room at different stages of life, okay? A lot of us in this church, based on the numbers of the check-in computers, would tell us that a lot of people in this room have small children. Your family looks a lot like mine. You've got small kids, you're driving a minivan. Uh, you know, your kids just started school or maybe they're about to start school or come on, they just started riding the school bus and you're, you're praying extra hard about that, all right? Like you got young kids. Some of you are parenting teenagers. They, they have cell phones now. They have internet access now. Um, they have their voice, first boyfriend or their, their first girlfriend, and you're trying not to kill somebody. Um, some of you are entering into a season of empty nesting. You've already done the young family thing, you've already done the teenager thing, and, and you're now parenting adults, or they, well, what they consider to be adults. They're not necessarily acting like adults, but you're parenting them. And some of you are beyond that, you're grandparents. You have raised kids who are raising kids. And, and, and so we're all at different stages, but I also recognize that some of you are not parents. Whether you're married or, or you're not, or you plan on having a family one day, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, um, this story is going to, to help you or prepare you, okay? So whether you've got young kids who maybe aren't making many decisions on their own right now, or maybe you're all the way on the other end of the spectrum, and you got grandkids or great grandkids, this this is gonna help you, or it's gonna prepare you, it's gonna challenge you personally to make sure that you know what you believe and why you believe it. Okay, so no matter where you are today in the life cycle, don't check out on me, all right? If, If you don't have a teenager, you don't have a kid in college who is maybe right where Samson was, it doesn't mean there's not something to learn today because all of us are gonna be challenged to figure out why we believe what we believe because it's important uh, It's important to know, okay? So we're gonna pick up the story in Judges chapter 14. If you have a Bible, find, find your Bible, get your phone out. It's gonna be up on the screen for you, all different ways you can follow along. And I want you to read with me. It's just four verses today. I want you to read along. Uh, read along with me, all right? Now, if you were here last week, you remember how Samson's, Mom and dad couldn't have children but then they were visited by an angel and uh, and 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 Samson ended up being this miracle and God made it clear that they were to raise him in a certain way that because God had big plans for his life that 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 it was going to require big sacrifice this was the conversation that that the, the angel was having with Samson's parents okay so when chapter 14 starts, that was all chapter 13. When chapter 14 starts, the story has skipped ahead to Samson's adult years. We don't exactly know how old he is, but he's old enough to get married, all right? So, so he, he's somewhere in that college to young adult age probably is where we think he is. And you just need to know that the heartwarming tale, the heartwarming story of chapter 13 about two young parents who aren't able to have children, and an angel shows up, and this is amazing, and there's music in the background, and this is just this amazing story. You need to know that that story's over, okay? And from this point forward, there's nothing really heartwarming about the story. We're gonna skip ahead so we don't get any of the childhood stories. We we can't fall in love with Samson, the cute little young boy who's so great, and none of that. We don't don't get any of that. We go from this heartwarming tale of Samson's parents miraculously being able to have a son to chapter 14, where Samson is now an adult. And just a heads up, there's nothing likable about him. Nothing. I mean, he's a punk. He's not likable. There's nothing heartwarming about it. And and there's nothing that would give us the feeling that we would wanna overlook his flaws or, or give him the benefit of the doubt. He is not a likable person from the very first verse of chapter 14. So we're gonna start reading Judges chapter 14, verse one, verse one, and, and, and if I haven't made it clear, I just wanna make it clear, if you don't know the story, it's not good, okay? Okay? you're not gonna like Samson, okay? Some of y'all fight for the underdog. You, You may wanna fight for him, but you're not gonna like him, all right? Judges chapter 14, verse one, here's what it says. It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I wanna marry her, get her for me. If it sounds like Samson is a chauvinistic, impulsive, demanding, spoiled brat, it's because he is. That's exactly who he is. Oprah Winfrey said, when people show you who they are, believe them, okay? And and so we get just a glimpse. The very first encounter that the Bible gives us of Samson gives us a great insight into who he is. And we don't know enough about his childhood to know if this was Normal interaction with his parents, but based on their response that we'll read in just a second, it would be safe to assume that they never really put up much of a fight. So keep reading. All right, go to verse verse three. Here's what it says. It says, his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry, they ask? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, probably stomping, get her for me. She looks good to me. Get her for me. She looks good to me. I told you that you wouldn't like him. I told you you wouldn't like him. Now, now it's easy to understand how Samson's parents might have spoiled him, okay? Put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Imagine knowing that you would never be able to have children, And one day, an angel shows up and says, I know that you had given up on that dream, and I know you thought that it would never be possible, but guess what? It's not only possible, it's going to happen, and the child that you never thought you would have, God's going to to give them to you. And not only are you having a son, but he's going to be special and strong, and he's going to be a judge, and he's going to be Israel's deliverer. That is what they were experiencing. So it's easy to understand how maybe they could have spoiled Samson just a little bit. There's, but there's no way that Samson's parents could have ever forgotten that encounter with that angel. You don't forget something like that. When the angel showed up to Mary and talked about Jesus, the Bible says that Mary kept all these things in her heart. And that's what we do as parents, right? We keep all these things in our heart, all these interactions, all these conversations, all these prayers, we keep them all in our heart. And so there's no way that Samson's parents could have ever forgotten that Samson, their son, was supposed to be God's deliverer. And specifically what that meant is that he was supposed to destroy, kill, annihilate, eliminate, Philistines. That was his job. That was why God was putting him there was to judge Israel and to destroy Philistines. And so they knew God's plan for Samson's life. They knew it was to defeat the Philistines and to save the Israelites. So imagine the day that Samson comes home and says, Mom and Dad, I found her. She's the one. They're probably maybe excited. Maybe, maybe Samson's mom is, 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 this is excitement. Grandchildren maybe are on the way. And he says, she's a Philistine woman. Imagine what they were feeling, knowing that instead of destroying the Philistines, that they were now going to be related to them, that, 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 that he was gonna marry them, not destroy them. Now, it's obvious. Samson calls the shots in his house. It's obvious, Okay. And while it would be easy for us to blame his parents because it's always easy to do that, it might be better instead to analyze how we react in similar situations. Samson's a punk. His parents maybe aren't doing the best they can. This would be a great time for us to be like, what's wrong with his parents? But instead, let's just step back and say, and ask the question, how do we react as grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, godparent, mom, dad? How, how do we react in similar situations? Parents who believe that their children are special, which is every parent I've ever met, okay, if you don't believe your kids are special, that you have a separate issue with your family, okay? But every parent I've ever met believes their children are special. How many parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles in the room believe you're related to someone special? Come on, let me see your hand. Everybody, yeah, they're special, they're special. And parents who believe their children are special tend to raise the child in two different ways. There's two ways you usually go when you believe that your child is special. One option is to be highly demanding and expect greatness from an early age, okay? You've got them in the gym doing two-a-days as soon as they can walk, all right? Because they're gonna be the next thing, okay? You're teaching them to read before their first birthday. You've got the reading cards out, right? You're, you feel pride from their accomplishments, so you push them to accomplish more. That is one way that we raise children who we feel are special, is, is we, we push them to accomplish more. The other option is on the other end of the scale, and that is to spoil the child, make excuses, and turn a blind eye towards their flaws. Now, I experienced this often, or I used to experience this a lot more when I was a youth pastor, because as a youth pastor, you would have teenagers in your youth group who were demon-possessed. I mean, not really, but pretty much, they were awful people. But then you would talk to their parents, and they would say, oh my goodness, little Timmy, just he is so... He's so incredible. I just love how he loves Jesus. And you're thinking, he don't love Jesus, right? Like he, he's, or, or, or a parent would say, I'm just so lucky that I haven't had to deal, you know, with my kid, you know, doing drugs. And I'm thinking, your kid's a drug dealer. Like, do you not realize what is happening under your nose, right? I used to have this happen a lot. These are the kind of parents who respond to every note sent home by the teacher with attitude Towards the teacher. Any teachers in the room know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is, this is the other way to do it. One, one way says push, 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 push. The other way says excuse, 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 excuse. Now, I, I could keep making jokes um, because both, both sides uh, have humorous, sad stories to tell. Um, but the reality is it's hard to be a parent. It's hard to raise somebody, to love somebody, to care for somebody. I mean, yeah, if they're eight and they're really good at sports, you're thinking about college scholarships. How, how do you not do that, you know? Like, what, what, what do you, if they have all kinds of flaws, like, you don't want to look in the mirror and say, my child is awful. Like, you, you you rationalize, you make excuses. The fact is, it's just hard. It's just hard to be a parent. It's hard to raise kids. It's hard to deal with Excellence, or sloppiness, or disrespect, or like you can only walk out of the grocery store so many times. You know what I mean? Like, there's just it's just hard to be a parent. And we can be certain, we 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 can't be certain, but everything we read about Samson's parents lead us to believe that they chose the second kind of parenting. That they were not driving Samson. That they were making excuses uh, for him. His interaction, his words, his tone to his parents give us, some, give us some, some clues, all right? The first thing that we know about Samson is that he does not fear his father. He doesn't fear his father. We know this based on the way that he talks to his dad. He doesn't fear him. He demands his parents give him what he wants. And I guess when you know you're the strongest man in the world, there's not much concern about what your dad could do to you, all right? Now, I know some of you were raised in a home and you have a home where you don't spank your children. I get that. That was not my house. They spanked me. And uh, But there was a certain age you got to when spankings didn't hurt no more, right? But you had to fake like they did because if you acted like they didn't, there would be another punishment. So you had to fake it, right? Well, Samson lived his whole life that way. He was stronger and bigger than his dad. So there was no real fear of, of, of a of a punishment, I guess. Now listen, I'm not talking about the kind of fear where you walk in the room and your children hide in the corner, all right? That's a whole different thing and that's obviously not what I'm talking about. But God uses authority in the home to prepare us to be able to submit to authority in the world. So God establishes this home structure and he uses authority so that when we leave the home and we go out into the world, we have learned how to Uh, live within authority, which leads us to the second thing that we learn about this story and this interaction is that Samson's not willing to listen to any authority. He's not afraid of his dad and he's not willing to listen to to any authority. When his parents insisted that he find a wife among the native people, Samson responded with, get her for me, okay? Just just wrap your head around that. They're like, Samson, this is not a great decision. Hey, get her for me, all right, So he has no respect or any desire to listen to to authority. He doesn't fear his father. He doesn't respect or listen to authority. So right off the bat, this should be a warning sign that something terrible is going to happen. it's It's a lock, lock it in. If you find somebody who does not listen to or respect any authority in their life, they are going to crash and burn. It's just the way that it is. Because authority is one of the ways that God protects us. Authority is not just about rules and guidelines. It's also the way that God protects us. I want to read a verse to you from Romans thirteen. You don't have to find it. It'll be up on the screen for you. But this is what it says in Romans 13.1. It says everyone must submit. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Say me. me. Okay. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all, everybody say all, all All authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by you, no, God, by God, it's been placed there by God. So this is a great place to stop and be challenged for everybody in the room. We'll get back to the raising kids in a second. This is a great place to stop and be challenged. What kind of example are we setting for our children when it comes to honoring authority? Grandparents, aunts, uncles, godparents, friends. What kind of example are we setting? I'm talking to us now. What kind of example are we setting... For our children, when it comes to honoring authority, a couple of questions, How, how do they hear us talk about the people that God has placed over us? There was a season, I don't have time to get into it, but there was a season in our family where my mom worked for, honestly, the worst human being I've ever met in my life, just a terrible human being, and treated her terribly. And the only reason that I know it is because my mom could not keep the tears back when she walked through the door for about a year and a half of her life. And I was uh, beginning my teenage years, I guess, I was somewhere in that range, I can't exactly remember, and I would remember day after day after day after day after day, my mom would walk in the door and, and she would just weep because the working environment she was in was so terrible, but she couldn't leave because it was complicated because of something with my dad's job and all this stuff that is not important to the story. And so she would come in, and she would weep, and I wasn't paying attention as a kid, but later on, we would talk about it, and and even in that year and a half when she would be crying and her and my dad would talk, do you know that in that 18 months, I never heard her say a negative word about the person who was causing her to come home crying every day? Now, she was saying negative words, okay, but not to me, and not to my brother, to my dad. They would go in the room, they would close the door, or dad would say, hey kids, why don't y'all go play? And she would process these things, but never to us, but never to us. And it didn't mean that much to me then, but now looking back, I remember that time and I'm amazed at how she, she handled that. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do your children hear you talk about people God has placed over you? Here, here's a question for you, Have you uh, ha, how, do, um, how do they hear you talk about people that you disagree with in general for that matter? How do we talk about police officers, politicians, bosses, husbands, parents, and pastors? They are listening. They are listening. So how do we talk about police officers, politicians, bosses, husbands, parents, and pastors? When we're frustrated with the authority in our life, it is a great time to explain why we choose to submit and respect people we disagree with or who are treating us unfairly. Okay? If we get disrespect every time we try to establish authority in our home, it could be that in our frustration, we have modeled disrespect. I'm not saying it's all your fault. I'm saying this is a real frustration that all of us deal with in life. I'm not coming down on you. I'm saying that we, in our frustration, not even realizing it, may have modeled disrespect, and so now we have raised people who are disrespectful to authority because it's what has been modeled for them. And so we have to really take some time to, to, to think through that. There are seasons, this is, what we have to, this is what we have to teach the people who are under our care, that there are seasons where you have to do what you have to in order to do what you want to do. But every season is not a season where you get to do what you want to do. Let me say that one more time. So so the way that we can model this to the people who are under our care is that, hey, there are seasons in life where you do what you have to do so that you later can do what you want to do. But you don't always get to do what you want to do. That is authority that is established and structured uh, by God, all right? So that was a little tangent. We could spend more time, but that's not the point of the message today, okay? Okay. So Samson has decided to do something that his parents know is wrong. And even though they tried to talk him out of it, he's determined to move ahead. So here we are. A place that so many of you have found yourself in, that so many of us will eventually find ourselves in. What do you do when your child is making decisions that go directly against the plan that you know God has for them? What do you do? You're watching it happen. You know, you see it, it's coming. You play it out in your head and you know this is not what God had planned and they are, they're, they're headed for something awful. Now, that, that's, that's not a question with a simple answer. What do you do? In Samson's case, he was already a young man, maybe an adult. It probably wouldn't have done much good to try and stand their ground then if they had never led with authority before. A spanking surely wasn't the answer. They couldn't ground him. He was bigger and stronger than them. They could have kicked him out of the house, I guess, but you know if you've ever been in that situation, it doesn't make you feel better to know that you will be farther away from the problem than right there with it. So what do you do? This is such a challenging scenario. And none of those options would have gotten to the heart of the matter. So as best I can, I want to take the rest of the time today and try to answer that question, what do you do when someone you love is making decisions that go against what God wants for their life? This could be a friend. Specifically, I'm talking about parenting and grandparenting and family, but this could be anybody that you care about. What do you do when someone you love is making decisions that go against what God wants for their life? Now, there is a recurring pattern in the life of Samson. We're gonna see this for the next three weeks, but there is this recurring pattern throughout Samson's life of terrible decision making. Terrible decision making. Quite honestly, like frankly, Samson just lacked willpower. Samson lacked willpower. But but I believe more than lacking willpower, Samson lacked, lacked why power. Everybody say why power. Why power? I heard this phrase a few years ago and I've never forgotten it, that why power will always be stronger than willpower. Why power will always be stronger than willpower. Now we don't know the details of the early years of Samson's life, so I am about to make some assumptions, okay? I'm gonna make some assumptions. But you don't get the impression that Samson knew why he was strong. You don't get the impression that he knew why he should not cut his hair or why he shouldn't eat grapes or why he shouldn't drink wine or why he shouldn't touch animals. And he obviously did not know why he shouldn't marry a Philistine woman. As parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, it's always easier to teach children what they should and shouldn't do. But teaching a child why something important is important will always have a longer-lasting effect. Now, I'm not suggesting that you give an explanation for every question that is asked to you. Sometimes you just gotta say, because I said so, okay? Sometimes you just gotta say that because 288 questions a day are coming at you, all right? I get that, I get that. But on on a higher scale of the things that matter in our lives, do our children know why it's important? Why it's important, to be honest, pure, respectful? Do they know why it's important to go to church, to worship, to read the Bible? Here's a question, do you? Do you know why it's important to go to church, worship, read your Bible, pray? Now, why power is not an original idea for me. It was God's idea that dates back hundreds of years before the story that we just read Today, okay, so very, very early in the Bible, God is already establishing this idea of why power over over willpower. And when the people were establishing this new way of life outside of Egypt, God made a point to give specific instructions to the parents. So just to give you a little backstory, these are the people who walked out of Egypt with Moses. These people literally witnessed and saw the plagues. These are the people who literally walked across the land where the sea split when Moses held up the staff. These are the people who literally saw the mountain shake, the birds fall from the sky to eat, the bread on the ground. These people lived it, literally experienced it. And they're trying to figure out how to start a life for themselves because they're not slaves anymore. And as God is establishing this way of life in Exodus chapter 13, verse 14, one verse, here's what he says. In days to come, God talking to the people, in days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? What does what mean? What do all the ceremonies mean? Why do we break the bread like that? Why do we give this? Why do we go to this place at this time? Why do we sing this song? When your kid asks you what does this mean, say to him, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, God knew that with each new generation, there had to be a renewal of conviction. With each new generation, there had to be a renewal of conviction. For the generation of people who witnessed the plagues and the miracles in the desert, there was no doubt that God was God. I mean, because they'd be like, if you ever started doubting it and you brought it up to your buddy, you know, Tim, at the gym, he'd be like, bro, are you crazy? Do you remember when the sea? And he's like, oh yeah, I do remember that. I walked across that. You remember when the fish fell? You're right, I remember that. That was the first generation. They actually witnessed it. But for the grandchildren, maybe for the kids, but especially the grandkids, those were just stories. I mean, somebody probably had it written down somewhere, but they were just stories. So they had to be taught why why they worshiped God. They had to explain why they did all the ceremonies and threw all the parties. Why did they bring God their offerings and their animals? I mean, if you're raising a family and you've got 12 goats and your dad says, hey, pick out the best goat, we're gonna go kill it and give it to God, and you're trying to figure out you only got 12, why would we give one to God? And the son says, dad, why would we do that? God says, don't miss that moment right there because you need to explain to them why you're giving me your best goat. Because they don't know. You know, because Moses told you when he came down from the mountain, his face was glowing. But you don't, they weren't there. And they don't know. What if, now listen, it's so easy to be a, a, it's so easy to offer opinions from the sidelines, okay? I got four kids, you'll have to remind me of this one day, maybe, I don't know. But what if, maybe it was already too late to, to change Samson's mind, but what if when Samson comes home and says, a founder, getter, you know, whatever he says in the barbaric way that he says it. What if his parents would have said and responded with something like this, Samson? We know you love her, but before you were born, God told us that you were special, and that 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 that, that you would defeat our enemies, the Philistines. We don't want you to marry her, not because we don't want you to be happy, Samson. We just know, because an angel visited us, we know that God has greater plans for your life than settling for a marriage with the people that God specifically told us not to marry. You are so important, Samson, that God... Sent an angel to tell us to make sure you didn't do things like this. Now that's an answer. Maybe he goes ahead, maybe he does it, because sometimes you just got to learn the hard way. But at least at that point, he knows why his parents would not want him to do that. Why? Nowhere in the story do we see anyone explain why. We don't see anybody give an explanation for why Samson shouldn't do the things that he's doing. Now, Samson was able to dodge the consequences of his decisions his whole life until the very end. Every time he got out of it, no problem, until the very end. But what if he had lived his life based on conviction and not based on consequences? Again, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that Samson was a victim. I'm not suggesting that that his parents set him up for failure. Maybe Manoah and his wife are like so many other God-fearing parents who did everything they knew to do to raise a child who loves God, but their efforts fell short. So please don't hear me saying this is his parents' fault. But Manoah and his wife are a reminder at the beginning of the story that we cannot explain why to our children enough. You cannot talk about God and his greatness enough. You cannot talk about his great plans for their future enough because why power will always be stronger than willpower. Now, I I wanna read one more verse and then we're gonna wrap all this up and try to figure out what this looks like in the middle of a chaotic home where everyone's throwing Cheerios, okay? We're gonna try to figure this out. Obviously, Samson's parents were distraught. I'm I'm sure they had already seen the warning signs that that Samson had a temper and lacked willpower and was headed in the wrong direction. But even in the midst of of terrible decision-making, we are reminded of God's goodness. It's the last verse that we're going to read today. We've read Judges 14, 1, 2, and 3. We're going to read Judges 14, verse 4. This is what it says. It says his father, talking about Samson, his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. I love verse four because verses one, two, and three make me freak out as a parent. What if I don't do it right? What if I don't explain why enough? What if I say yes when I should say no? What if they sleep at the wrong person's house? What if they go to the wrong school? What if, you know, all these things. And I love verse four because it brings it back to God and it takes the pressure off of me and it brings it back to God and reminds me that when nothing in my house seems to be working, God is working. And that when nothing in my parenting seems to be working, God is working. God is working. It's hard to remember that sometimes when nothing else seems to be. And when someone that you love is making poor decisions, it's easy to forget that God causes everything to work together for good. Even when we're actively working against God's plan, he is working for us. Samson was a sex-crazed, egotistical, angry, spoiled brat but God was at work because God uses flawed people and God uses flawed parents. Now, if you're responsible for raising or influencing someone, this story brings to mind so many questions, so many questions. It would be easy to feel guilty or overwhelmed, but I want us to try to get just really practical so that maybe we can leave here feeling encouraged. That there's hope for our children and hope for our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. So let's just start here. I'm going to ask you three questions. Write these down. I'm going to ask you three questions. Number one, do your children know your hope story? Do your children know your hope story? Have you told them how you met Jesus? Do they they know what your life was like before God? Make sure it's age appropriate, but you can figure it out. Do they know what you were like before Jesus? Do they know how you met Jesus? Do they know why you are how you are now because God is so good and has been so good to you? Why did you get saved? How has Jesus changed your life? What if your kids... Heard you say things often like, everything else I ever tried in my life either disappointed me or got me in trouble, but Jesus has never let me down. Do your children know your hope story? Second question is this. Do your children know you pray for them? I'm assuming you pray for them, you love them, but do they know that you pray for them? Have you told them, I pray for you? Have you told them why you pray for them? Because prayer makes a difference, because prayer matters, because God hears us when we pray. Have you told them what prayers you are praying for them? You could even take it a step further, and I'm not saying you pray as a setup or an act, but have you ever prayed so passionately that your children overheard you praying for them? Question number three. Do your children know why you practice spiritual habits? Do your children know why you practice spiritual habits? Why do you pray before you eat? Why do you go to church? Why do you tithe? Why do you read the Bible? Why why do you pray? Why do you serve? I'll just give you a small little example of this in the context of a house with small children. Several years ago, our kids, probably like your kids, were learning how to pray for their food And so as they were learning how to pray for their food, they were praying like most adults pray and like I have prayed many, many times. God, bless this food to the nourishment of our body. And one day as they were praying that, I thought, what does that even mean? And I thought, is that why I pray for my food? So that it would be nourishing to me, which is a valid request, but that's not why I pray for my food. And so I said to Sadie at the time, who was the one, I said, hey, here's how we're gonna pray for our food. God, thank you for providing us food to eat today because the reason I pray is because I'm thankful that I have food to eat. Just a small little lesson there, but we're gonna change the way that we pray because the reason that we're praying is because everybody doesn't have food today, but we do and we wanna be thankful for the food. That's just a small example. Do they know? Do they know? Why you go to church? Why do you tithe? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you serve? You've probably figured out by now that this message isn't just for our kids. I got you, trick. Whether you're a parent or not, it's important as Christians that we know why we do what we do. Why do we believe what we believe? Because why power is always stronger than willpower. And if you're trying to be a Christian on willpower alone, you will eventually fade. But if you know why, then you'll be able to stand strong when desire is fading Now, I am not promising that if you explain why to your children that they will never turn their back on God or get into trouble. If I could guarantee that, I'd be making a lot of money doing something else, okay? I know so many of you in the room today are feeling the pain and the heartache of watching someone that you love make terrible decisions. But I am saying that we can't explain why We love Jesus enough. We can't. Because why power will always be stronger than willpower. Let's pray.